Would you please join with me in a word of prayer? And gracious Heavenly Father, we join our hearts together with the disciples who surrounded you, and then, Lord, with your disciples who surround this world with an earnest desire to to breathe of the same spirit by which you breathe as a son with a father, as children with a heavenly father. I pray that you would teach us, Lord, how it is that this relationship, which is so treasured, is then, Lord, to be to be cultivated in our lives. So that in this year and in this unfolding time that we have together, we might know what it is to love you more and to serve you in greater ways. This we pray in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. The last time I saw you was right before Christmas, and I was able to wish you a Merry Christmas. As I came in this morning, Grant greeted me by saying Happy New Year, and so I probably should get that out of the way as well. And why not? Let's get it over with Happy Valentine's Day as well. So, you know, let's get it all out of the way here. So, Now, from what I understand, as we enter into this particular moment in the season, Ebenezer has set aside a season for prayer. And I, I have that calendar that... And it was printed up, and I've been carrying it along, and I've been, been joining to, together with you in this season of 60 days in prayer. And as I did, I, I thought it would be a, a good thing for us together to allow the Bible to also then, and, and use this time that we share together, to, to find a focus, or better yet, to get a tune-up that would guide our prayers. And for that, I thought it would be best to join the disciples as we find them in both Luke chapter 11 as well as Matthew chapter 6, uh, turning to Jesus with a very simple request. In Luke 11, we read the disciples turning to Jesus and saying, Lord, teach us to pray. And the Lord's response, well, it's the treasure that we have come to know as the Lord's Prayer. And as I just mentioned, it appears twice in the Gospels and also in the Gospel of Luke and and the Gospel of Matthew. And during this season of prayer, I'm going to focus on the Matthew passage as we go to school with the disciples, especially in focusing on that prayer phrase by phrase. And as as we begin that, I might as well recognize the fact that the Lord's Prayer has has been and remains to be the, the greatest prayer of the church. It's been the subject of countless thousands of sermons of prayer and and has become the basis for basic Christian doctrine. In fact, the whole of the Reformed Catechism consists really of studies that were outlined from three sources. One, the Apostles' Creed. Two, the Ten Commandments. And three, the Lord's Prayer. It is the outline of basic discipleship and theology. And so phrase by phrase, the Catechism goes. It's been that way from the very beginning in the early church. Each of the fathers, Origen, Gregory of Nyssa, Tertullian, Cyril of of Jerusalem, Cyprian, all of them published volumes of expositions on the Lord's Prayer, each phrase by phrase. And it's always been seen as something more than just a prayer, but is is viewed as as a whole curriculum of spiritual education. And so this great prayer, the Lord's Prayer, has become known as the Lord's Prayer for 2,000 years. So I I think it would almost be futile for me to to, to redesignate it and call it by its real title. The real title should be, it's the Disciples' Prayer. 
because it is what guides us and teaches us in our spiritual lives. In fact, it's more than a prayer. It is a school, or better yet, it is basic training for anyone who would follow Jesus. And any fellowship that would gather in his name, it doesn't get much more basic than this. Now, it it has always amazed me that the disciples, in their process of their training, never asked Jesus to train them how to walk on water or to still storms or how to heal or to how to cast out demons as part of their basic training. But instead, they asked him how to pray. And all of the other things that they could have asked for, it was, in fact, this particular request about prayer that Jesus chose to teach. But I want you to know something very important about this. Before he taught them, he prefaced his words with this caution. Notice that Jesus says at the very beginning of Matthew chapter 6, verse 9, and if you have your Bibles, please turn to Matthew chapter 6. Have that before you, Matthew chapter 6. In verse 9, he, 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 he instructs them by saying this. He says, pray then in this way. That's a very critical point, and it's a critical phrase to, to take to heart. Pray then in this way. He didn't say, pray this prayer or pray these words. Whenever we receive the Lord's prayer, we do have a good prayer. We do have good words, but what we have more than anything else is, a, is an outline of the same priorities, the same agenda that Jesus had in his heart as he prayed to his Father. <clears throat> and even more, it becomes a perfect pattern for us to discover our own true priorities and agenda as well. It's not just a matter of words. It, it's, it's, it's the shaping of a contour of soul. I love the way N.T. Wright has put it. He said, when Jesus gave his disciples this prayer, he was giving them part of his own breath, his own life, his own prayer. And the prayer is actually a distillation of his own sense of vocation, his own understanding of his Father's purposes. And I would add, in giving us his own breath of life in prayer, that we would pray in this way we also find our own vocation and our own understanding of the Father's purposes for us as well. What a contrast to the way in which we tend to approach prayer. I might as well confess that our prayers are too often given because we are in some sort of mess and we want God to get us out or that we've got some fairly pressing needs and we want God to come to the rescue. It's almost like he's some sort of cosmic coast guard on search and rescue alert. And and our prayers are like a radio broadcast that comes across the airways. SOS, come and get us. That's how we approach prayer too often. Instead, Jesus turns our priorities inside out. Yes, God is gracious. And yes, God will provide, but not because he is at our command and is subject to our priorities. Instead, he is the great and majestic God to whom we approach as Father. And in our prayer, we find a greater understanding of his purposes and his priorities, and in following them, find our lives as well. 
That's an important thing to know because during this 60-day season of prayer, you may be tempted to focus on all the things you need God to do in your life, in this fellowship, where, in fact, you may miss, in fact, the greatest discovery of all. What are God's priorities? What are God's purposes? As Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount later from, from Matthew 6, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these other things will be added unto you. And so for this very reason, Jesus said, pray in this way, not pray this prayer or say these words. <laughs> I have to think that it's a sad irony of the Lord's Prayer that it is more often mindlessly repeated than it is actually prayed. I suspect that this morning, across the globe, more people just said the Lord's Prayer than actually prayed it. Which is even more ironic, because when we open the Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus introduces the prayer in verses 5 through 8 with a specific warning against meaningless repetition. As you open your Bibles and you turn to Matthew 6, I promise that we will take our first step into the pray in that moment. Before we do, we need to heed the warning. Now, the disciples may have been looking for instructions on how to pray, but the first thing Jesus told them was how not to pray. And in those verses, before the prayer appears, beginning in verse 5, he lays down two conditions. First, prayer must be meaningful and not hypocritical. When you pray, he says, you are not to be as the hypocrites who loved to be seen by men. I've summarized those verses. The term hypocrisy in the New Testament is drawn from the culture of the day, where a hypocrite was really one who engaged in drama. It was an actor in a theater. It was someone who wore a mask to portray to others what they really were not. He was play-acting. And what, what he was doing was not real. And Jesus applied the word to people who were going just through the motions of prayer, making a great external show of piety, but whose real state did not really match their outward show. Their piety was just phony. It was fraudulent. It was a fake form of godliness. That is not how prayer is to be. Now, I have to pause for just a moment and, and, and look at verse 6 where Jesus says, when you pray, go into your inner room. That, that needs a little bit of explanation, I, I've, I've discovered over time. Or as the King James puts it, your closet, and do it in secret. I'm, I'm afraid that this verse has been confused by so many. When I was a pastor in Chicago, there was a woman in my congregation who in fact invited me over to her home, first to criticize me, and then uh, for, for not, for, and her criticism was, for not leading the congregation in prayer, for, in fact, leading the congregation in prayer. She says prayer, in fact, was supposed to be a private thing. And then she proved her point by showing me a broom closet in her house as the only place that prayer could ever occur, and that was the only place that she would ever pray, because, after all, prayer was supposed to be done in the closet. <laughs> she got a little upset with me when I suggested to her that she, she shouldn't have shown me the closet because now it was no longer secret or private. I, you know, I, I, shame on her. And how did she know that I was maybe even reading my prayers? Her eyes were open when I was praying. How dare she, you know? Look, the Bible has, 
the Bible has a place for public prayer. And so public prayer, in fact, the whole book of Psalms was never meant to be kept a secret or something private. It was something to be shared by a common voice among God's people. But it does help to know something about this particular verse. If you know anything about the architecture of a home in Jesus' day, you will discover that the house was, in fact, an essential part of the whole family business. And the entire first ground floor was where that business was conducted, is where the animals often were kept. It was where people gathered together and business was transacted. And if you can picture it, you may picture that that first floor as being a place of of, of noise and, and chaos, but you've seen the pictures of the second floor of a home, and usually it's a little rounded cupola. Cupola? I, I don't know how we call it. And that would be the place where you would go for privacy. That is where you would go for sleep. That was where it was quiet, and you could think, and you could reflect. It was a place of meaningful reflection, and that's the word that Jesus uses to describe it. That's where Jesus wants our prayers to be authored and forged. They come from that place of meaningful, quiet reflection and come out from the heart. That's what that whole thing is all about. Because your prayers are to be meaningful. Your prayers are also not to be magical. Look at verse 7. Do not use meaningless repetition. That meaningless repetition is almost like a magical incantation. Again, just a simple note. We all do have verbal tics, phrases and sounds that we make that become familiar go-to habits that, 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 that indicate that our minds have already switched into autopilot. Um, uh, yeah, mm-hmm, uh, uh. Yeah, mm-hmm, yeah, those sort of verbal tics that come in there. And I, I suspect that if I were to take a survey here, some of you could identify a, very, a few irritating habits, like hearing the word awesome. That, that, that's an irritating habit. You are an awesome God, and it's an awesome to praise you for your awesomeness. Uh, awesome, yeah. <laughs> well, since I got the, pop, uh, the pulpit, let me share some of my irritations. <laughs> Two of them that really get my goat. And those two words are just and really. You'll hear that oftentimes in prayer. Lord, I just really want to pray this prayer. And in that, there is an implied humility to the word just. I don't want to bother you with anything else, God. I know you've got a lot on your mind, but I just want this little thing. It's an, it, 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 it's, it's an implied humility. And then there's an implied sincerity to the words Really? It's like, you can forget anything else I've ever said up until this point, God. Don't, don't, don't even have to pay attention to it. But what I really want you to pay attention to is this. I know it's a pet peeve, but I just really wanted to share it with you. Now, according to Jesus, prayer should be meaningful. It should also be thoughtful. And it's for that reason I often encourage my pastoral students at the seminary to take time, not just to compose their sermons, but to compose their prayers, to write them, and to give them as much heartfelt reflection as they give to their sermons, to find ways to be able to express their, their, their worship of God as much as their petition of him. And for that reason, I would invite you to join with me in careful reflection of the Lord's Prayer during this season of prayer. Why? Well, my hope for this season of prayer is to heighten the underlying foundation of awareness by which we all must pray. My goal is admittedly selfish. I might as well confess it. 
I want to pray with a greater singleness of heart and a depth of integrity. I want to improve my prayer life, and I hope you do too. So with it, we need to begin at the beginning and do so with the first few words of the prayer, for they state the primary awareness which allows every single one of us to pray. And there we read them. Our Father, who art in heaven, Now, there is an interesting history behind those those words. God as Father, our Father. At the time, the Pharisees had taken the third commandment uh, of not taking the Lord's name in vain so strictly that they chose not to take it at all and instead referred to God indirectly using expressions like the Holy One, things like that. But here, Jesus goes right back to a deeper history where the name of Father was used in the Old Testament as a common way to describe God's relationship to all of Israel. Verses like Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 6. He is not your Father, is he, I'm sorry, is he not your Father who created you? Isaiah chapter 63, verse 16. Thou art our Father. Fourteen times in the Old Testament, the fatherhood of God is used, but only in terms of the broad creation of a holy people at large, and always used in reference to the nation and not to individuals. But here, Jesus makes that term utterly personal. He addressed God only as Father, even in his own prayers. He never used anything else, no other title. All of his prayers addressed God as Father. The Gospels record him using that term over 60 times. And it's not just personal for himself, it is for us as well. Pray then in this way. Our Father, who art in heaven, an incredible revolution. When Jesus teaches us to pray, he does it by opening our lips in prayer to call God as Father, or as the best word is best translated, dearest Father. There's a tenderness to the term. As Wacom Jeremias, the great New Testament theologian, puts it, he says this, in doing this, Jesus authorized them and us to enjoy the same relationship with God as Jesus had, preparing us to share in his sonship relationship with God and empowering us to speak with our Heavenly Father in the same trusting way as a child would with their own father. And with this, Jesus transferred the fatherhood of God from a theological doctrine into a personal experience that each of us would share. (laughs) And from this... In this phrase, there are two lessons I'd like to take to heart. The first is probably the most familiar and the one that you've probably heard and you think, this is wonderful, this is great, but it is so familiar. Our ability to pray is, in fact, based upon the reality of our relationship. Paul tells us in Galatians chapter 4, verse 6, it is because that we are sons, daughters, children of God that God has sent forth his spirit, the spirit of his son, into our hearts so that we might cry out, Abba, Father, and make this prayer something of meaning. The impulse to pray is the sign of being God's child. And to pray with any effect or meaning requires 
an awareness and an authenticity. In Romans chapter 8, verses 15 through 16, the same is that you have received the spirit of adoption as children by which we can call out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself is bearing witness with us that we are children of God. To call God Father is not just an act of intimacy. The boldness or the sheer cheek of walking into the presence of the living and the almighty God and saying, Hi, Dad, it is much more than that. It is something that ties us directly to Jesus Christ and, 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 and draws us into the whole drama of, of, of redemption. It was for that reason I actually asked you to read uh, Hebrews chapter 2. Because the picture that we have there is that of, of the culmination of the drama of, rem, uh, of re, redemption, the, the history of redemption, as Jesus walks into the, into the palace of God. And in Hebrews 2, that whole drama, in the backdrop of the suffering of the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, it culminates in his return to heaven. And as he enters into the throne room of God, he does so with an announcement in Hebrews 2, verse 13. Behold, I and the children whom God has given me. And then, according to the Lord's prayer, he turns to us in that same passage, and then he says, now it's your turn to be able to say, my Father, who art in heaven. Do you catch the image of this and the power of that image? And as with that vision like that in heart, it is hard to imagine simply skipping into a room to say, hi, Dad. But that prayer actually becomes the ultimate act of dignity and profound majesty that surrounds the relationship we have with the Lord, the majestic Lord of the universe, our God. And I might as well say it, it is something that we do, not just ourselves, but with each other as well. And so we pray in this way, with this spirit, our Father. And that, that's, that's the first lesson and probably the easiest for me to teach. Because after all, it's the most familiar. It's a theme that we, we preachers constantly press. We, we want you to know that you are a child of God. We want you to know that you are a child of God. We want you to know that we are all God's children through Jesus Christ. And we all thrill at this idea of commitment that God has made to us in his relationship. But in opening with this particular lesson, speaking of the commitment that God has made to you to make you his child, there is, in fact, a second lesson to this where the commitment that God has made to us then requires a commitment that we make to him in those very same terms, a commitment that enlists us into the reality of the partnership that we now possess. For Jesus to call God his Father was not just an act of intimacy, it was a bold declaration of a son who has accepted his role in the family business and was committing himself to the Father's purposes first and foremost and always. And since with this prayer, Jesus is giving us part of his own breath, as N.T. says, his own life, his own sense of vocation and understanding of the Father's purposes, Were we to pray this prayer, we need to realize that we are in those words making the same bold declaration. Risking everything to say, I am ready and willing to be a partner in the family's business and to be about the father's business first 
foremost and always. I am signing on to the kingdom of God at a level more intense than that just of a laborer. I own what the Father decrees. His business is now my business. His purposes determine my purposes. And his will prevails over all things. His will, not mine, be done. When we call God Father, we are deliberately and willingly stepping out as apprentice children into a world of pain and darkness, a world that may terrify us, but step out just in in the same as Jesus did with obedience to our calling to be his sons and daughters who accept the privilege of calling him Father. And when we call God Father as directed by Jesus, we are making the same astonishing, crazy, utterly risky claim that we are taking up the same mission as our older brother, Jesus Christ. It's a prayer we cannot pray unless we really mean it. We just really mean it. And it is not just a prayer that we pray alone. It is a prayer that has to be prayed together. It is our Father who art in heaven, I have to believe that when we choose to pray this way and we are taught to pray this way, that we pray this way out of a profound relationship in the heart of a powerful partnership, then we begin to discover whole new dimensions of gifts and graces that God has already set up in store for us together. And the result of such a partnership really does become an adventure. You may think that Ebenezer is entering in just a 60-day season of prayer. In reality, if we are taking it to heart, we are launching on a journey of discovery. And who knows what treasures that journey will uncover, what gifts and graces God will reveal to us to find. As I was studying this passage and reflecting on the partnership of of the father and the son, I came across a delightful story of a father named Kevin Severin and and his seven-year-old son, Adrian. On January 1st, 2008, a time when most people are making New Year's resolutions, as they were walking out of a store, they spotted a dime on the ground. As Keith, the father, described the moment, it struck them both that there is treasure everywhere. And he also confessed that when they found the dime, he was thinking about his New Year's resolutions and how he was searching for a way to bond closer with his boy, with his son. And so he made made his son an offer that day that for the entire year, they would spend at a minimum 15 minutes together searching for treasure. 15 minutes a day, at the minimum, they would seek uh, treasure together as partners. So for the whole year, Keith and Adrian, they stuck to their plan. Even when the weather was rotten, they would be out, looking along the sidewalks, walking along the ways, looking for treasure. And over the course of that year, they accumulated plenty of loose change. And a treasure trove that included rare bottles, collectibles, and a silver necklace they found. They, They found a golf bag a pole cart that they were able to sell. And by year's end, they had amassed over $1,000 worth of treasure just through their 15-minute walks together. (laughs) But as Keith says, it was richer by far simply 
to grow into the relationship that he had as a father with a son. And as they walked, they talked not about treasure, but they talked about life about what was going on at home and at school, what was ahead in their future, their dreams and their desires. And, and, and they even dreamed up books that they could write about their experiences together. They were a father and son on a mission of life. And I would love to think that in this season of prayer, the 60 days, just taking these first few words to heart, our Father, our Father, who art in heaven, would in fact unite all of Ebenezer together with the Father as his children on a mission of discovery, a treasure hunt in life. Now at the minimum, it takes 20 seconds to pray the Lord's Prayer. I know because I timed it. But that's only when you say it. Say the words. When you mean it, It becomes a lifetime journey of discovery where all the gifts and graces that God has for us, for you, for me, for us, come from a father with his children and they come come to life. And so let's bring in this journey together. And in obedience to our Lord, pray together the prayer that he has taught us to pray. You see it up on the screen. You have it in your worship folder. I would like to think you have it in your memory and your heart as well. Would, would you pray with me as I come to the close of this, this prayer that our Lord has taught us to pray? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen.